Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Introducing our guest to the Rocky Road Rewind podcast from the land of the salted breeze. From the West in County Mayo, it's the Western warrior, Henry Coyle. Ding, ding, ding. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Rewind. I'm Kevin Byrne and I'm delighted to be joined by Eric Donovan and Henry Coyle today. Welcome to the show, lads. How Thank are you? you? Thanks a million for having us. Absolute pleasure. How are you keeping, Henry? Aaron, not a bother on me, not a bother. All all good, healthy again. Had a brush with the corona there and got it really bad, but thankfully I beat it back to China and I'm in great shape again, mentally and physically. Mm. I, I believe you did that with a, a concoction given to you by Nicholas Cruz, the Irish Olympic coach, helped you, helped you out in your recovery on that one. He did, he did, and I never thought it, but I was I was really, really sick for about... I, got, I didn't think I could catch it first off. I, I just didn't think I'd catch it. And I had a real bad headache. And I had the headache for two days. And then you're thinking, oh, God, have I taken too many punches and whatnot? And I went to, I went and got tested. And the woman told me when she tested me, she says, you've got it. She says, your temperature is 102. She said, and you have all the symptoms. We won't have the results for like a week. But then they rang me the next day and they said, yeah, you got it. But I was really, really bad. And, you know... The headache was the worst bit of it, and the coughing. But Nicholas, now I was in touch with Nicholas, which I always, always am, and he says, get a pineapple, cut up the pineapple. He says, boil the skins and the stem of it. He says, boil it, drink the juice, get eucalyptus oil, saucepan of boiling water and go under it. And true God, the very first day i done it, I put just like three-eighths of an Irish teacup of phlegm up out of me. And truthfully, from that day on, I was kind of improving until about a week later, I woke up one day again. It was just like I had the whole thing back again. And the next day I was fine. But mm. Nicholas's remedy, uh, uh, pineapple, pineapple skins boiled creates an enzyme called bromelain, which is very good for your indigestion and digestion and it cleans you out and it, it worked for me. Well, I mean, if anybody knows, Nicholas knows, he comes from a country of one of the best medical uh health systems in the world cuba you know and they're just like um they're phenomenal phenomenal aren't they um you've always had a, a very close relationship and uh very you're very fond of nicholas cruz henry uh, how did that uh, how did that relationship develop 
That relationship developed in the 90s, the mid-90s. My dad uh, spotted Nicholas Cruz sweeping the floor of the National Stadium. And he started talking to him. And he, my dad had a brainwave. He says, why don't I bring this fella to Mayo to coach coaches? So we brought him to Mayo in the 90s. And probably in like 97. And it just escalated from there. And the coach and the, what he brought to our club, you know, we were winning an odd Irish title then. And one or two here and there. I was Irish champion already. But we, you know, we're winning one and two here and then in 04, our club won five nationals. And in 2013, we won 13 nationals. We're Irish Club of the Year. And I put that all down to Nicholas Cruz and my dad having the whereabouts to bring him to Gisala back in the day to coach coaches was my dad's thinking behind it. They recorded every session and it just went from there. Yeah, it's very interesting because your club is like, well, it was a fairly newish club, wasn't it, around then? Your father had a keen interest in boxing I know boxing is a runs in the family family history as well but do you think that that was the catalyst to kind of get Guy Salah Boxing Club up and off the ground because not long after that you became a, a very uh, a formidable kind of a club and a force to be reckoned with in the National Stadium yeah 100% when it just took off overnight there was Irish titles in the early 80s my dad formed the club in 1979 there was a club originally in Gisala uh, made, created by a priest called Father Hart who brought boxing to Eris, where we're from. And there was a club in Gisala and there was a club in Ahus. And believe it or not, out of those two clubs, uh, the club in Ahus, famed McGarry brothers came, PJ McGarry and them, and Martin won the Golden Gloves here in Chicago. And they, in fact, have a boxing club on the south side of Chicago here. And that all stemmed from priests bringing boxing to Eris. The club formed then and it folded when my dad was a kid and my dad reformed the club in 1979. And it's been, it's been just a serious success story, you know, since. And we've, we've, we've punched above our weight nationally, you know. Uh, Henry, you're, you have the father figure and coach all wrapped up in one in Jerry, but boxing coaches are renowned for being kind of father figures to kids who need them. And Eric, what was your first experience of going into the club and, you know, having the arm around the shoulder and, re and you know, realising that this was great guidance and, you know, was it Dom O'Rourke or who was it for you? Yeah, it's probably Dom, really. Dom had a, had a very positive influence on my life, not only as a boxer, but like outside the ring as well Dom wanted to know what was going on with me you know he wanted to know how my schooling was going how my how my social life was going and more more times than not my social life wouldn't be going too well because Dom would see me hanging around the, the kind of spots and hanging around with groups and, and gangs that he wouldn't necessarily recommend and you know he'd always try and have a word with me about you know, trying to steer clear of danger and um, and that, like, you know, these people are not going to have my back when, when things get tough in the ring, you know? Stuff like that. But, like, he he was always very cautious in how he approached these situations with me. Like, he wasn't a, a hard taskmaster or anything, but he would be very serious when he'd have the chats. And, like, there's people like Dom all over Ireland, you know? We're very, very lucky to have them. Henry Kyle's father, Jim, Jerry is one of them as well. I shared a trip with him uh, a good few years ago back in Wales. The Four Nations it was the Four Nations uh, Juniors 
and Jerry was one of the head coaches and you could just tell that the man just lives for boxing and he lives he treats everybody like like they are his like they are his children you know what I mean he just goes out of his way to, to and you could see how proud he was when we were winning when we became the best nation in that four nation championship you could just see what it means to him and people like Jerry and people like Tom O'Rourke you know they're all over Ireland, and the impact that they have on society across this country—if it would like—it's incredible. If it could ever be measured, you know, I think the government definitely have a lot to thank them for. Absolutely, you see, the coaching. Why you see, you don't to be a boxer, you don't need to go to a fancy school. You don't need anything. You walk down the road like you go to way it up. You can go to Dunfanaghy. You can go to Gisali. You can go to Shannagarry. You can go up Dantrum and this. People tonight in Ireland, around the country, giving up their time to make kids better. I mean, they bring them to Dublin and, you know, cream always comes to the top. But it's, you know, my dad, my dad lives for boxing. You know, that's, that's just the way it is. And I was brought up going to boxing. Uh, my dad formed the club in 1979 before I was even born. And I grew up going to boxing with all these guys. And my mother wouldn't, my, I started going when I was seven to the club, but my mother would only let me go one night a week because she didn't like it. And uh, just went from there. Started going there when I was 10, had a couple of fights and just went on from there. But no, in, 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 in the country, what boxing has given to society and how many lives it saved and the respect, the respect. If you give respect, you get respect. And you realize that in boxing. And like, there's no, you know, it doesn't matter what background you're from, you know, even here in America where, you know, it's, you've got, you've got gangs and everything. The one place where there's respect is the boxing gym. And even when I used to go up to Belfast to Jerry's story, like I was a kid from Gisala, you know, I was made welcome. I was across the road. I was sparring in the Tigers Bay area. I was a kid from Gisala. I was made welcome. And that's what boxing brings to the table. There's a respect, you know? Yeah. Uh, I've, this year, more than any other year, I've read just obituary after obituary of boxing coaches passing away. And a lot of people in boxing seem to, like you see it on social media, like they're talking, they're anti-vax, anti-mask. Um, but I think on the ground, boxing has been really badly affected by COVID-19. There's a whole host of uh, tra- former fighters, trainers, managers and kind of promotional workers that have died of COVID in the US. And there's been a couple of victims of, you know, there's been a couple of Irish victims as well, but not just of COVID. Irish boxing has lost a number of coaches this year. So that's why I was like asking you on, Henry, because I don't think there's anybody that's connected to the sport that you don't have a story about. So I was looking for a few of you. Like the first, the first coach you mentioned that died this year was Coleman Flaherty from County Galway. A legend, an absolute legend out there in Connemara. And when I fought for the title in 2011, uh, it was on TG Carr because RT weren't covering the fights at the time. And, and the deal was I'd go down to the Gaeltox for a week after with Coleman and help him train the kids in the club. And I did, and I can honestly say it was like the week of my life, learning a bit Irish, along Connemara with Coleman and his family, and they looked after me like a king. Coleman was a legend, an absolute legend of Irish boxing. He always had a smile. He was he, my own club. Him and my dad used to make matches over the phone. You know, 
they were just renowned matches. You know, he'd come down to Gisala, we go down to Connemara. Just great times, great people. And there's so many people around Ireland, you know, great coaches, and we've lost a couple of them. You know, you've just given up their time for the sport of boxing to make kids better. And yeah. that's what it's all about. And, you know, you see... You know, you see, you don't need to go to a good school. You know, it's boxing. You walk down the road to your club and there's clubs in the 32 counties and there's people around the country tonight giving their time to make kids better and go to the boys' championships and, you know, we've got the girls. It's just great, you know. It's, it's, yeah. it's absolutely brilliant. But Coleman was an absolute legend of boxing and he would have had the connection there, been from Connemara with the great Sean Mangan, who fought for the world title in many years ago. Rocky Ross Muck, you might have seen the documentary and you know, just great people and you know, that gave their time to kids and improving kids and it was just great. I'll move on now, Henry, to um a man from Chicago. So like proving the story that Henry Coyle knows absolutely everybody in boxing. Um Tom O'Shea, an Irishman who along with his family emigrated to Chicago in the fifties and ended up training uh, young guys out of Cabrini Green in Chicago and being successful, trained Nate Jones to the Olympics. We had Nate Jones on the podcast a couple of months back, but you knew the O'Shea brothers as well. Rory, Brian and Tom O'Shea, three legends of Irish boxing and Chicago boxing. They came, they immigrated here with their family back in the day. Cabrini Green was probably one of the roughest uh, states in America. It was that bad. It was so bad once the mayor, Jane Byrne, went to live in it to try and bring down the crime. Nate Jones was a product of that. He, he fought in the 96 Olympics where he won a bronze medal. He got to the 96 Olympics because a man from Dublin, Ireland, Tom O'Shea, took him off the street, brought him to a boxing gym and showed him what he could do and what he could achieve. And just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And anyone that doesn't know Nate Jones, he's the guy that holds the body belt for Mayweather. Yeah. So this, these, are, these are the levels you're talking about and these are the lives that it's affected, you know? But... Uh, Rory, Rory is actually, Rory has passed away, uh, Tom and Brian. Brian is still alive. They were national Golden Gloves champions, the O'Shea yeah. brothers, you know, absolute legends of the game. And Tom's club here was called Matador, Matador Boxing. And he, you say the Matador was like, you know, taming the, the Matador tamed the bull, you know, and he, he had that way about him. And just great people. And to think that they came from Ireland to here to have such a huge influence an influence that's felt right down the line to the great Floyd Mayweather. Mm. You know, that their kids from their club in Cabrini Green called Nate Jones went to the 96 Olympics and won a bronze medal because of the coaching that that man had given him and he got on the national team. And, you know, he's Mayweather's right-hand man on the body belt, you know? Yeah. Eric, I don't know how it is for you. I think we're like around the same age. But one of my first boxing heroes was Francie Barrett. Went to the 96 Olympics for Ireland and I mentioned him when we spoke to Paul McCluskey a couple of weeks back as well, but I absolutely love Francie Barrett and even you watch his documentary, Southpaw, the star of the show is Chick Gillen, who sadly died in May, aged 87. Did you know Chick, Eric? Uh, I, I'm Henry, I know did. I know that the 92 Olympics was kind of like, with Karut and, and McCullough winning the medals, was big news, but I was a bit young I was seven years old and that was actually the year I joined boxing. Uh, I don't know if that had an influence on it or whatever, but I do remember Karut, he was donning most of these billboards and 
he, I think there was a, maybe a link to Maxall as well, garages or something like that, that there were, he was outside most of those garages. It must have been a sponsorship thing or something there. But, um, but anyway, I didn't know much about the build-up or the, or the Barcelona Olympics, but I paid more attention then to 96 Atlanta Olympi- uh, Olympics, obviously, and Francie Bard was somebody that really caught my eye, and I remember being on the Late Late Show and everything about becoming the first traveller and holding the flag, and it was fantastic, but I was so fascinated with his coach, he was a real throwback, a real old-school type coach that um, just had so many brilliant um, kind of metaphors and one-liners, you know, I used to, I remember the documentary Southpaw, hit him with the right hand, Francie, and hit him often, you know, it was brilliant, <laughs> it was fantastic, but uh, yeah, poor old chick passed away as well, condolences to him, all of his family and all of his loved ones, he certainly made a, a great mark on the sport. Mm. Henry, you, you presume you knew him fairly well being a Westerner? Chick was a legend, and that's, I knew Chick since I was 10 years old, and um, we'd go down to Galway, we'd go down to Olympic Boxing Club, myself and dad, and they were training in a school at the time, and they'd make a, they'd make a, they'd make a square of the tables, and you'd go inside the tables and you'd fight. <laughs> and, you know, it was... Chick had, chick, yeah, no ring, no ring. It was in a school in Galway, and, um, you know, Chick was just a great, great human and a great man, and a great ambassador for the sport of boxing and he boxed himself, you know, and his one-liners, they will never, yeah, Chick had just a way with words, but, you know, I, I was blessed, mm-hmm. I was blessed, to, you know, I was blessed, I sparred hundreds of rounds with Francie, I was even with him in England, helping him get ready for a fight, and I managed, I boxed three of his brothers, so I, I know them very, very well, and they're, they're absolute gentlemen of, of, of Irish boxing, all the Barretts, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I actually went. Uh, I went to my first European. No, not my first European. My second European Championships in two thousand. Um, when was it? Uh, two thousand and two. Uh, European Championships in Greece. European Cadet Championships in Greece. And Dermot Barrett was on the team. This is the team: Andy Lee, Roy Sheen, Dermot Barrett, Brian Gillen, and myself. It was uh, none of us got any medals or anything, but I do remember having a chat with. Uh, I do remember having good chats with with Dermot about about you know how proud he was of his brother Francie and uh, they're a good family, really really good family. Uh, the, the the Barretts were a really good boxing family. And Coleman and Coleman Barrett, fortunately, um, got over a COVID issue this year. He was very sick, I believe, in in hospital in London, but he recovered uh, fortunately. Mm. Yeah, I talked to him. I talked to him because it was around the time I had it myself. And Coleman even got it worse. Coleman was in an induced coma. He had only 35% lung function when he wound up in the hospital. But thanks be to God, he made a 100% recovery in his back again, you know. But another legend got to the final of prize fighter for an Olympic gold medalist, Audley Harrison, you know. Mm. Now, now legend, you know. Henry, tell us about the Yank. Morris Walsh, he died in May, sadly. One of the greats, one of the greats of Irish boxing. Well, Morris, I tell you, we, see, I was from the country. I, we're like, we're just, there's like 36 houses in the village of Gisana, right? And it's a huge area. Eris is like the size of County Louds, the, the whole of Eris where I'm <laughs> yeah. from. But it's very spread out, you know, and the club is in the village and I'm a mile from the village. So I was going to Dublin from when I was 11 years old. 
And, you know, we weren't winning much at the time. And, you know, we were losing in the Ireland finals. And, you know, I didn't win the title. I was in my youth. And you'd see this club uh, called St. Coleman's. And, like, they look like they're winning everything, you know. And I was like, gee, man, what, what are those guys doing that we're not? You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the first time I seen Maris Walsh. And, you know, like, you're wondering, like, what, what, what exercises are they doing that we're not when they're winning everything? And lo and behold, I was on the under-21 Irish team and we came over to America to fight against the Native American boxing team. And at the time, the Native American boxing team was trying to get a team to the Olympics outside of the US of A with just themselves. Right. And there was a lot of money there and they have all the casinos and everything. And the first show was in the Foxwood Casino in Connecticut. And Roy was on that, Roy Sheehan was on that trip with us. And Roy told the story himself. We're in the ring, and I'll never forget it. We're in the ring, and we're all holding hands. And the anthems were playing. Next thing, this Indian started singing this, this kind of weird, weird song. And we just looked at one another. We were all like trying to keep in the laugh. Roy actually told the story on some podcast or something he was on. I was like, that did happen. But uh, uh, Morris was the coach. So, like, you know, you're, you're looking up to this guy anyway, and, you know, next thing he's going to be in your corner, and you're like, oh, man, you know, Morris Walsh. And, you know, you want to you wanna, you wanna do good for this guy, you know what I mean? Because you know he's from a club that's winning it, that won everything, and his son Billy and Kevin and Pat, they were, you know, they were legends. And, you know, went to the ring, and I'm in a fight, and I went back to the corner, and, like, I'm... I'm, I'm not knowing what he's going to, you know, I was hoping this, you know, he was, what he told me was not what I was expecting. It was not what I was expecting at all, but I won the fight. And a legend and a way with words and a great aura about him. He had an aura, a real aura yeah. and to get you ready for a fight and the way he'd relax you in the dressing room, the way he'd relax you in the corner. But like everything, Chenegary, Cork, like, you know, given his time to kids, look what they produced. Look at all the champions they produced. His son Billy, his son Kevin, you know, legends. Legends of Irish boxing. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, it's like our own village. Like, we're rural as it gets. That's rural too. And, you know, that's the whole thing with boxing. You don't need to go to a school. You don't need to do that. You just walk down the road to your club. And thanks be to God, there's coaches around the country of Ireland that will help kids and help to bring them to nationals and whatnot. And that's what it's all about. Do you care to share the piece of advice that you got from uh, Morris Walsh to relax you in the ring? Or are well, you, uh, are you yeah, not? I, not <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was not what I was expecting. I'll put it like that. It was not, yeah. what, I expect, it was not what I was expecting. Uh, but he told me I was thinking too hard about the fight. And he, he says, think, think. Think outside the box. You think you got to think of someone you like. He says. I'm like what? And uh, yeah, think of some nice lady. I'm like what? And it just. But I won the fight. You know what I mean? He, yeah. he 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 knew I was I was thinking too hard, and I I just need to let it go. You know. That's something that you. That's something that's followed. That's something that's followed you most of your career, actually. And it's funny that he would have uh, noticed that in you way back then because even later on in in your career when you when you when you got up onto the senior team you used to think about the fights and the boxing you know almost 
obsessively and you're very intense and you're very intense about your weight your weight making and your preparation and you used to go all in all in with 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 full focus and full obsession it was almost like you couldn't take a break or switch off and uh, so that was an interesting piece of uh advice was, that Morris has given you I think the way I have been yeah. in life it was all or nothing and if I gave it all I gave it all and that's what got me to where I got but yeah Morris he, he says man you're thinking too hard he's a bit of an American twang and he says I was thinking too hard about it and take your mind off it and think of this and I was like what it wasn't what I was expecting move the left move the right throw a left throw a right it wasn't what I was expecting you know but I won the fight and I'll never forget him for that and Morris was an absolute gentleman, an absolute gent. And he, he played American football, you know what I mean? He, he, had a different, he had a different way of coaching than I had seen before or I was involved in before. It was a, yeah. he, he brought a, brighter, a different mm. perspective, you know? There's, you know? there's so many ways to coach. And, you know, as Eric, Eric, you've been around so many different coaches like myself. And, you know, what worked for one won't work for the other. You know, back in, back in the early days of the high performance, yeah. I will say this, the program for the 11 boxers was the same. For a program to work, the 11 boxers can't have the same program because it doesn't work like that. Everyone is different. Everyone needs something different, you know? That's right, they did. And it's like anything, you know, and that's what made the high performance so good as well in terms of, like, the success it had, is they were able to... They were able to be open-minded and to evolve with the game, with the boxers around them. And it wasn't long after, I think, uh, that they decided to put it to the boxers about what way they wanted to be trained. Obviously, there's a general there's a general fitness that everybody needs, a general strength and conditioning program and all that. But when it comes down to boxing and tactics and what fights you want to hear in the corner, like whether you want to do pads with Billy, do you want to do pads with Zor, do you want to do, who do you want to speak to you first in the corner, who do you want to give you a drink? Little things that they started to allow boxers to become more um, involved in. And I just thought that that was a very, a very kind of uh, wise and mature way of... They had because they had to because it's like a football team even. The fifteen players on the football team are not the same. You know, everyone thinks differently, everyone doesn't. Boxing, a boxing team is not the same. What works for you, Eric, does not work for me, or vice versa, what works for me don't work for you. Everyone it has to be tailored mm. appropriately to that person's need of what they need, you know. Mm. Um We've spoken yeah. about four Irishmen. Just to complete, complete. Um, there's a there's a fifth uh, Irish, uh, long-standing Irish coach as well, uh, Belfast Harry Cunningham, who was involved in the sport for over sixty years. And tributes are paid for by the likes of Carl Frampton, lots of boxers in uh, in Ulster as well. I'm not sure if either you knew Harry at all. Only knew Harry to see, but knew he was a, a pillar of the boxing community because I knew I know of his sons, and one of them fought in the World Championships in one. Um, but just knew him, just knew him to see, you know, uh, yeah. just, knew, you know, like everyone in boxing, everyone knows, you know, you, you know people, but you knew he was a staple of our sport, you know, yeah. an awful loss to the sport in Belfast. I didn't know him personally either, but like he, he was somebody that definitely had a big influence on, on the sport and his son, his son, he had two sons, Liam and Harry, was it? I think yeah. Liam and yeah, Harry. Liam and Harry. Uh, I was on it. One of my first trips was one of my first ever trips was uh, uh, as a young boxer. I was only about twelve or thirteen. I went to 
Canada with my club and we needed to bring in some uh, reinforcements from other clubs around around Ireland to, to match up uh, an Irish selection to face a Canadian selection over in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And um, Liam was one of the one of the boxers that we brought and I was absolutely in awe of him. I thought he was class. I thought he was a really, really fantastic boxer and uh, just remember having a really good time with him and um, you know I do, of all the people that you mentioned there there's one I really knew on a personal level and that was Coleman Flatterty and you know really really sad to, to hear that we Coleman is not with us anymore a couple of years back I was invited down to the down to Connemara as well um, from by Coleman to do some to do some boxing classes with his club and I brought my youngest uh, or I brought my eldest son with me Jack at the time Jack was only so young and I remember Jack being so in awe and impressed with the Connemara the landscape the, the beauty of it and then when we got into of course into the gym we could hear all of the, the boxers and the club speaking our native tone you know Oscar and Jack was fascinated by all of this and it was just a lovely experience I actually stayed in Coleman's house that night and they looked after us so well him and his wife and his children and all of, like boxers just a really really good good person that 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 i've become very that i that i had a good kind of a relationship with for years and years with boxing he'd always pop over to me in the national stadium always say hello and uh, it's just really sad that he's not with us anymore so condolences to him or to all of his family uh thoughts and prayers are with all of them yeah, and his family extends, I suppose, to all the people he coached and touched because, like I say, I've been reading a lot of obituaries and it just stands out so much that, like, I'm going to read a list now of some boxing figures in America or around around the world who've, these are COVID-related deaths. And I, the five Irishmen I mentioned aren't COVID. Tom O'Shea and Harry Cunningham, unfortunately, did die after contracting coronavirus. But, like, this is a list from around the world. Like, Jimmy Glenn, a great New York trainer and the owner of Jimmy's Corner Bar, his son now manages Joe Ward, died at the age of 89. A Houston boxing coach, Hector Rocha, died at age 61. The Canadian... Who, tra- who trained Arturo Gessi, Hector Rocha. Yeah. Pat Kelly from Canada, 85. Um, Italian former boxer, Angelo Rotoli from Bergamo, who was an early victim of the virus. The referee, Eddie Cotton from New Jersey, 72. Uh, Carmen Williamson from Toledo. He was boxing's first black Olympic judge, uh, 94 years old. Former fighter, Hegeman Lewis, 74 years old. Nelson Cuevas from the Bronx, where Mike Tyson began uh, his boxing career in his gym, died at the age of 80. Uh, Ron Ross from Florida, 87. He was a journalist, manager, trainer, former boxer, everything. Mexico's national team coach died of COVID as well. Francisco Bonilla, 61 years old, as did the Albanian team coach as well. Same age, Skender Curti. Um, Argentina's uh, Juan Domingo Roldan, 63. Uh, English coach Andrew Sumner, 78, a recent uh, recently died of COVID. From New Zealand, Bernard Pope, 78. And from Russia, Alexander Nikolaev. Um, Francisco Mendez from New York. I'm sure, uh, Henry, you probably trained in his gym. Mendez Boxing, the famous Manhattan Institution. I, I met Andy Lee there. I know Patrick Patrick Hyland trained there. A bunch of Irish oh, I did, I did. I worked yeah. out there, yeah. Yeah. A great gym, full of those old characters. A lot of them are, have died off with this, this deadly disease and stuff. And um, Colin Webster from England. Les Stevens. Did you know Les Stevens, 69 years old? Where was he from? He was from England and he was a traveling man. He was a 
top amateur, you know, won, won medals and was a professional as well. John Pollock from Sunderland, 72. And then there's two, even, even recently in the last week or two, uh, John Quebler from Nebraska and Frank Dobales from Stockton as well. So all these obituaries kind of compare the trainers to, like, you'll get a former boxer saying he was like Mickey from the Rocky movies, but he was also, you know, like a father figure, giving troubled kids refuge from the streets and from you know, just from difficulties in their lives and turning lives around. So there's our tribute anyway to a lot of the uh, coaches who've passed away this year. And even a bunch of coach, a couple of coaches have passed away who didn't contract COVID, but famous names like Nazim Richardson from Philadelphia. Legend. 55, Roger Mayweather, 58. So rest in peace to everybody I've mentioned already. And anybody else we've left, and anybody else we've left out. Um, you were saying, boys, you stayed in Connemara, Coleman, Flaherty's, and you picked up a bit of the native tongue. You're both uh, linked as TG Akahar headliners, and but also we'll get to that in a few minutes. But you also um, are linked as elite champions in 2004. Um, Conor Ahern, Paul Highland, Eric Donovan, Martin Lindsay, Andrew Murray, Henry Coyle, Andy Lee, and Kenneth Egan. What a squad of winners that year. I think it was the 2004 elites, but they were staged in 2003. What do you recall of that night? On the 19th of December, may I add, the same date of the All-Ireland final this year. I hope. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's an omen. I think there's an omen in there. Uh, No, but I tell you what, it was what, what a night. That was one of my best nights in the National Stadium, and I'm sure it was the same for Henry. It was just absolutely incredible. Henry's, I remember Henry's, uh, all his crew, all the people from the West, they were going absolutely bananas because James Moore was obviously tipped. James Moore, don't forget, was, uh, this was in 2003, so only two years previous, James Moore was winning, was, was winning a bronze medal in the World Championships in Belfast. Mm-hmm. You know, he was destined for the, destined for the Athens Olympic Games and out, out of nowhere comes the Western Warrior inspired by his father, Jerry, and, uh, and, um, and put in an incredible performance and, and, and got the best boxer of the night and, and deservedly so. And sure enough, I became a Thai's, a Thai's first ever um, senior champion on the same night, beating a very good, skillful boxer, proven and tested senior champion in Brian Gillen as well. Gillen. So it was, a, it was an incredible moment for both of us. Um, and it's a night I will never, ever forget. Yeah, bravo, bravo. Great night for both of you. Great night and suffer dreams like, you know, because I fought more the year earlier in the semi-final and the headline on the paper of Jerry Callan the next day was shame on you so-called boxing fans that weren't in the stadium to witness one of the greatest fights ever. It was an absolute war. And what I learned from the few months of uh, in between the seniors, I learned how to win. Um, that's what I learned in the few months. I learned how to win, and we changed a few things. We tweaked a few things that I was doing. I was scoring 20 points and losing. I lost to Darren Sutherland in a compact of like 29-29 was the score of the fight, you know, in an under-21 final. And as my dad says, if you could miss 10% more punches, you'd win, you know? Yeah. And Henry, as an amateur, you fought like a whole host of incredible names. And we're going to obviously focus now in a minute on your, your big title fight in Castle Bar. But just who was who the best of Darren Sutherland, John Pascal, Andre Berto, Anthony Durrell, Gabriel Rosado, James Moore, John Duddy? Who was the, the hardest night and who was the best? Who did you know would go the furthest? 
I honestly say the man that was most explosive was Berto. He was Berto, Andre Berto. He was man. He was explosive. He could just explode. Um, but in saying that, it was wrong what was done to us. We were the we were two weeks after the Irish Senior Championships. We were messing about, drinking, messing about. Then we get a call. We're going to America. And then we were fighting the American number ones who were doing a six-week training camp in the Poconos Mountains. But we fought them. And Berto was awesome. He was awesome. Dirty, you know, the, I fought them all. The, you know, but I'd say the hardest hitter, one of the hardest hitters I was ever in was, was a guy from Galway called Mervyn Lee. Just sparred him, but man, Mervyn could crack. He, he could crack, you know? Mm. Um. You win gold at the World Military Games in 2006. And there's a couple of different pro offers on the, you know, going there for you. I think you trained with Ricky Hatton in Manchester. Uh, you had a, an offer or talk with kind of, uh, with Mike McCallum, a bit of an Irish boogeyman. So probably best to stay away from Big Mike. But um, you go pro at St. Patrick's weekend 2007 on a card shop, uh, top by John Duddy. First round win and uh, all is set up. Are you glad you started your career in the USA as, as did the likes of Duddy Lee, Bernard Dunn, you know, before coming back for your big fights in Ireland many years later? Was that the right approach to take in hindsight? I'm in peace with what I've done because I can't change it. And I am where I am because of what I've done. And, you know, there's no point looking back. you got to look forward. And, you know, the stuff of dreams... Uh, I made my debut in Madison Square Garden. If I told you, we couldn't even find the door to get into Madison Square Garden that night. That's, you know, that's the stuff of dreams. There was a blizzard in New York. We were late getting there. I was brought up to a dressing room. Thanks be to God, Andy Lee and Manuel Stewart was in the dressing room and the boys from Gisala. I walk out in Madison Square Garden, my father in my corner, my first pro fight, get a first round knockout. Stuff of dreams. Mm. Um... Joe Frazier was in the crowd. Uh, Martin McGuinness, John McEnroe, legends, you know. And we 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 were outside. Um, we we're outside uh, Madison Square Garden. There's a foot of snow on the ground. And my dad is wearing a black suit with a white pair of runners because he forgot his shoes. And we were going to a bar owned by a Balmullet woman a few blocks away, and uh, a cane woman from Auckland, and she was putting on a party. And we couldn't get a taxi. And there was a Kerry man there. And Jake Lamada was outside the door. And the Kerry man says, he says, if Jake Lamada can't get a taxi in New York, he says, I'm damn it if a Kerry man will get one. He got Jake Lamada <laughs> to sign. He got Jake Lamada to sign his passport. And, you know, you, you can imagine them looking at the you know, going back at immigration, the raging vote of Jake Lamada. That happened. That happened. You know? Brilliant story. And and your dad, your dad as well, kind of set a bit of a he was a, a, a trail a trailblazer, maybe because they're the, the the runners and suits are all the go now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I don't remember you ever having a desire to go professional. When did no. when when did like? Because I I spent a few I spent a few years with you on the amateur team, and you know I never once heard you talk about you know I want to go professional or I'm going to go professional. So did that was that something that just transpired? How did that come about? Like. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, I won the World Military Games in Africa. In the final, I fought a tie. Uh, the tie won the silver medal here in 07 at the World Championships. Uh, that you were at. He was beaten by Demetrius Andrade in the final with a dislocated shoulder. And I just said after that, man, I want to go pro. You know, I want to test myself. I want to give it a go, see what I got. You know, you hear you hear so much and this and that. And So I went to, I had actually a connection with Anthony Farnell in Manchester. And I went over to Anthony Farnell, an, actual, an absolute legend and a gentleman and a great trainer. And I worked with Anthony Farnell. I was in the Hatton gym. I sparred, sparred there. I helped Matthew Macklin get ready for one of his fights. It was his comeback fight after Jamie Moore. And I was at Frank Warren, and Frank Warren made me an offer. And, you know, looking back now, it was a great offer. But I went the road I did, and do I regret going the road I did? No, because I've done what I've done, and I'm happy, you know? Yeah. So, Henry, mm. we'll get to the main event. It's the Royal Rumble, the night the West will be won. Friday, August 12th, 2011, and a special weekend, I believe, for people from Gisala. You, you emigrate like hell. You're all over the world, but particularly, I suppose, England. And everybody's back that weekend, am I right? Yeah, everyone's back usually that weekend. For the 15th of August in Balmullet, it's a big festival weekend. And everyone is back, and the fight was on the 12th, so... Yeah. There was a lot of big men in the crowd in like, you know, big suits, flashy suits that night. You know, they've got the they've got the glad rags on. Yeah, it was look at hey, it was it look at for me, it was an honor. It was an honor for me. And I'll tell you a story. Two years the day earlier, I was a down and out man. I'd I'd hurt my toe. I'd lost the big fight in Belfast. Uh Neil Sinclair. Neil Sinclair. Yeah, mm. I'd lost it. I just got everything wrong. I got the camp wrong. I got the weight wrong. I got everything wrong with that. And I was down and out reading stuff about myself on the internet. And I went to the shop with my neighbor for a drum of gas. And we're about seven mile into 10 mile journey. And my neighbor, he stopped the car in the middle of the road. And he said, Henry, if I was looking behind me since I left your house, where would I be now? I said, you'd be in the drain, John. He said, I would. And that's where you're going. And that day I'd done my first run about three miles. 
And two years, the day later, I won the WBF world title. And I was being interviewed by the radio the following night, and that man walked into the place, John Carlin. And, you know, it was just that little thing. Don't be looking behind you. Look forward and move forward. And it just changed my life, you know? Well, a voice we can all live by. Um, so it's Gisala against Naples. Your opponent is Elio Cotina. His grandfather was an Olympian, was he? I think his grandfather was an Olympic bronze medalist yeah. and he was IBF Mediterranean champion. Because at the time we were wanting to get into the IBF rankings because we wanted to, we had a connection with Andy Lee and that and Cornelius Canine Bunbridge was the IBF yeah. uh, like middleweight champion, which nearly happened, but that's a whole other story for a whole other day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the uh, what if, the, the, that's the what if portion because I was looking at the, um, yeah, the, the, the light middleweight champions at the time uh, Canelo's just won his first one I think he's WBC champion Austin Trout has the WBA IBF is K9 Bundridge and uh, Serhi Dinzuruk who later fought um, Sergio Martinez he's the WBO light middleweight champion at the time um, I, I figure this WBF title not to be confused with the one that Patrick Hyland won he won the federation about two months previously then he fought on your card when you fought for the foundation I presume you saw this as like a step, a stepping stone title, like you say, you know, get get high rankings in the IBF. This was just a stepping stone on, title. Yeah. This was just a stepping stone, but it turned out to be a world title, yeah. and I made people around home proud. But it was only a yeah. stepping stone. It was only a stepping stone, you know. I what wanted you, more. What do you remember of like? Because I remember being at the Royal Theatre in Castlebar two years ago for Ray Moylet's fight, and like the atmosphere was absolutely magnificent. He he walked out and he had the whole shebang. And when you walked out that night as well, you had like the green and red of Mayo was playing, and you'd, you'd fought twice in Mayo already at that stage in in Brafey House, but this was this was your show. This was the big one and Royal Theatre. And what do you remember of walking out? The pride you felt, or you know, were you, were you fired was, up, nervous? How'd you feel? I was headlining right. And there's a lot, there's always pressure. There's always pressure. But I knew I had the work done and I had the right people brought on board. I brought in, after I lost that fight in 09, I brought in a guy called Jerry Owen here. He was a strength and conditioner and he was a nutritionist and he taught me some great traits and he says, the best way to not eat it is not to buy it. So we used to go to the shop, shopping with me and it was the best thing and it's a rule for anyone, women, anyone losing weight, don't buy it. Where you need discipline is when you're in that store don't put it in the trolley. Because mm. if, if you don't have it, you won't eat it. Yeah. And he had a PhD and he was, you know, that was his job. And I had him on board. I had my own trainer, Sam Colonna, and I had some phenomenal sparring. So I was in a great place. I was, I was in a great place physically and mentally, you know. I was, yeah. I, was, I was in a relationship. Everything was going good. And the fight in Kesselbar, I was exactly where I needed to be mentally, physically and everything. I got it right. I got the weight right. I'd only a few pounds to cut the last cut. Everything was great, you know? Yeah. And what can you say about Mayo? Like, Mayo is starved for success, you know? I came out there that night. But, you, you know, you, you just focus on the task ahead. I had seen a few videos here, man. I knew I'd worked with my coach here. I'd worked with Nicholas Cruz. He'd done this. You do that. So that's all playing in your mind, you know? You, you had a game plan. And I know what he, I could tell you his game plan. His game plan was to go for my body because he was hitting me with some awful body shots early. I think he was trying to tire me out and outbox me in the later rounds. But thankfully, I got him before he got me, you know? Mm. Did you think you were winning as the, as the rounds were going? How, how did the fight go in, in your mind's eye? 
I felt I'd won every round. Mm. Yeah, I felt I'd won every round. And the most important thing I was neutralizing in the whole fight was my left jab. And I was using what I'd like to call the turtle defense. My hands were high. And I was fighting from out behind the left jab. And that, that, that was it. What was your reaction to hearing uh, and the new as, you, as you're in the ring? And then the ring is obviously swamped. I think there was about 495 people in the ring after it to celebrate, at least. And they were all cousins. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, what's your reaction? You know, you're, you're, you're just relieved. You're yeah. relieved, you know. It's the first morning you can get up and you don't have to go on the scales to see what you are. And, you know, you're just relieved. You're, it's just a relief when it's all over, you know. Thanks be to God, it's you know I done it, and first hurdle, next hurdle, please, you know. Yeah. What do you make of uh, Eric's? Uh, how Eric's going so far in his uh, pro career? He's a bit later to the later to the game. Eric, um, first of all, I'll start by saying Eric's a legend and a legend of Irish boxing and a legend yeah. of, of a human being, right? And what do I say? Eric, he went that bit later, but look at, hey, it's right for him. And that's all that matters. Now, he took, he took a big chance. It's all, he took a big chance in that big fight with Matchroom. And if it had paid off, it, but it didn't pay off. But he was winning. He, he left a great mark. And from people watching that fight, they'll know that Eric Donovan can fight. You know what I mean? Mm. And it was great. There's nothing like getting one of them fights where you get in and you get the rounds in. You know, you, you, you weigh in. The weighing in is the big thing. You weigh in, you get the fight. The more you do it, the easier it gets. And get one of those sort of tune-up fights, you know, where you're not, you know, every fight, you got to be careful because, you know, you never know what's going to come at you. It only takes one punch. And he got the win the other night in Brussels, and that's all that matters, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, boxing is like that, though, isn't it? Like, it's... um you know, you can be like, you can have all the talent in the world and you can have great ability and, you know, but you kind of have to deliver on the night. Like even in Brussels last week, I really wasn't feeling the best at all. And maybe that was because the contrast between my last two fights, you know, one minute I'm in the matchroom camp, I'm, I'm, I'm live on Sky Sports, I'm surrounded by every boxing type of journalist that there is, all boxing aficionados, everyone wants to know about the fight, everyone wants to talk to me. Um, the coverage, the exposure is just off the charts. I'm, I'm back home in Ireland, I'm on every news station, people are saying it's like I'm boxing for a world title. I'm trying to stay calm, I'm trying to stay focused, but the adrenaline is running through the body, the fire is in the belly, and I'm just buzzing for this fight. And then in, Be in Belgium last weekend, I'm kind of over there, I'm in the middle of nowhere, nobody knows outside of my own inner circle and probably the boxing community, and I, I'm feeling a little bit lacklustre, I'm feeling like there's no spark, there's no adrenaline, I know that I've 99, 99, like, there's probably 99.9% .9 chance I'm going to win this fight, you know, um, so I didn't have that I didn't have that same spark but that when Henry's talking about being careful that's what he means you know somebody like that could just do you and really? thankfully he didn't yeah but thankfully but he, he didn't but we have to be we have to be professional and because I came up trumps in Belgium the other night I wish I boxed better but I didn't but I got the ultimate objective that we went out for which is the win and that sets me back up 
to get back in the ring next year at a much higher level and maybe back on a matchroom card. So it's all about chance in this game. One, every time you step inside that ring, you are actually investing in your next fight. And that's, that's just a matter of fact. That's it. It's myself, you know, when I was offered the shot, you know, I was unsure and, you know, like shots, but, you know, you're, then I took it and went for it and you, you just go for it. But it's all about that no one ever caught you. It's all about getting the W. That's all the win. And it don't matter how you get it, as long as you get the W. And that, if you, you could box useless, but if you lost that fight, Eric, everyone would know. But the most important thing is you left Belgium with a win in the off. Yeah. Henry, when we were setting up this uh, interview, and we'll, we'll wrap it up in a minute now, and I, I much appreciate the time you've both given us tonight. Um, you're looking to maybe get back involved in a bit of boxing, a bit of teaching or something like that. Uh, tell, us, tell us a bit more. I absolutely love boxing. I grew up going to boxing. Boxing was in my house before I was ever even born. My uncle, I told you that he fought for Ireland, he fought for England, and he fought for the United States of America. He's 82 years old. He lost in the senior championships back there to the great Ali Byrne. You might know who he is, Kevin Byrne. I don't know if he's any relation. Mm-hmm. Uh, a cousin. Fought... <laughs> like the coils, a cousin. Yeah, but he, uh, <laughs> you know, I've been in boxing, but I have a gym here. I've trained people. We do fitness classes. We got a ring. We got bags. Trained a couple of fighters. My dream, my dream, my dream is to get an Olympian from Gisala Boxing Club. That is my dream, and I will be back home there whenever I am, and I'll be running and help, helping run Isala Boxing Club and keep inspiring kids and keep getting titles. And, you know, just the dream, the goal is to get an Olympian from Gisala. Could you imagine an Olympian from Gisala? It's just the dream, you know? It would be fantastic, but, like, you know, there's definitely, the, there's definitely a very, um, what would you say, a strong... Uh, boxing kind of contingent from that area and you have been very lucky uh, I say lucky but you have been very hard working and they have produced some good I think Kira Ginty is from your club as well is she? Uh, yeah Kira and, and I just think now with the women's especially with the women's weight categories almost becoming equal to the men I think there's a huge market for uh, female success in Ireland Olympic success uh, you know if we can just put a bit more attention and focus on to the ladies I think they can really deliver um because it's, it's it's definitely it's it's definitely there's a market there for it. There's definitely a market there for it. Um, but Henry, I was just saying, like I remember a time when you were actually moving around Ireland, having a few professional fights. You're on the undercard of Bernard Dunn shows, etc. And the Western Warrior was a name that I was hearing thrown around around the country, almost like a household name. Um, and you, you, but you haven't been in Ireland for a number. For, for quite some time so tell why don't you tell the, the listeners about where, where, you, where you are at the moment and what you're doing with you, what you're doing with your life I know you have a desire to come back to Gisala but what what is the Henry Kyle up to these days and where are well, you based well I'm here in Chicago I'm in Chicago I'm in I'm, I'm right I'm right in the middle of Chicago on the south side of the street right in the middle if that makes sense to anyone that knows the area I'm on Madison, and uh, I'm here, and I, I, had, I had life pretty good. I still have life good. I was, uh, I was um, supplying some security to bars and nightclubs and that. 
And then the corona came and that all stopped, but you got to do what you got to do. So yeah, I'm out doing a bit of construction now with my brother, but it's all good. And I'm healthy and the gyms are all closed, but you know, it's just strange times, you know, strange times. But as I say, tough times don't last, but tough people do, you know. The way you described where you're living there, Henry, you think you were talking about a village. You're talking about Chicago. Um, you know, down <laughs> down behind that house there, in behind that country. It's just, but the, do you know what's funny about that is a friend of mine, James Rowe, who's from Nace, he's a, he's a racing car driver, Formula 3. Uh, he spent his first year as a professional in America last year. This year has been very, very tough for him because... Um, with the whole pandemic and, and, and everything. But, you know, he was a young kid, full of aspirations, still still is very hungry and, and has a desire to go to the top. But, you know, I linked, I linked him up with you out there and you took him under your wing and you looked after him. And one thing he said to me was that Henry walks around Chicago like a local Lord Mayor. <laughs> he knows everybody. <laughs> Knows yeah, everybody. But, yeah, but this James Rowe is an absolute legend. And I, what I like to do, and I will do and continue to do, he's going to spend Christmas with me. If he's, he doesn't know ah, yet if he's going home, is he going home or not? He's, he's, he spends time here with me. He, he's a young kid from Ireland. He came out here to America. He was living a few, about 30 miles outside of Chicago in a house full of Brazilians that didn't speak English. So, look at he. I met him, Eric, thanks to you, you gave him my number. I will look out for him and I will help him and I will direct him because what I really want to see him do, I want to see him follow his dream, make his dream, drive IndyCar, drive whatever makes him happy. And any help I can give him to do that, I definitely will because I know, and Eric knows, I know how hard it is to make it. I was blessed, Eric, you're blessed, but it didn't come to us easy, you know? Henry you're already doing the work of the boxing coach you know it's not ne not necessarily about getting a kid to the Olympics or to a world championship it's about you know making a difference and that's the, that's what I've been reading about the legacies left by most of the names I read out earlier on most of them didn't train the world champion boxer or didn't train the Olympic gold medalist but they made you know massive contributions and changed the lives of, every, of a lot of people who came under their wing so it's like Tom O'Shea here in Chicago like yeah. the difference he made in kids lives in Cabrini Green, like just picture it, a man from Dublin, Cabrini Green at one stage in America was one of the roughest, you'd say, one of the roughest neighborhoods this year, you'd say a state in Ireland. There's actually a fire station there and there's holes in the wall, like mm. from all the shootings that he was going, like just ridiculous stuff. But he, he nurtured kids, he taught them and he taught them respect. And that's what it's all about, yes. you know. We've done what we've done, but uh, you know, Eric, you're still there and I, you know, it, it puts a lump in my throat. I'd say that puts a lump in my throat when I see Eric fighting on Matchroom. Like myself and the brother, we came home early the day Eric was on. We were watching it. You know, we were we were shouting at the screen. You know, we were shouting. At yeah. It. We just wanted you to do yeah. it. You know, but that's that's the sport we're in. Not long, that's the sport we decided to be in. One punch can change it. But isn't it great? We've been in it and we've done what we've done, and you're still doing it. And fair play to Eric, and that's testament the life you've lived and the way you've lived your life to be going as good as you're going. And I will say it, I'll say it here, boxing has kept me young and it's kept you young too, Eric, you know. It has been good to us because a lot of my friends are buggered from drinking and smoking and thankfully, just because of the boxing, we didn't go down that road, you know.
True, true words, great speech. I can honestly say I'd be lost without boxing. It gave me so much. But, you know, even when I turned professional, I just said, what, the, what I want to do is I want to create memories. And I think I am creating great memories. And you've done that in, <laughs> you done that in Mayo yourself that night when, Ke- when Kevin talked about it there, Royal Rumble in the ring at the end, almost like a WWE, 400 people in the <laughs> ring. Just incredible. Like, that. that's a special... That's a special memory. You'll never, ever, ever forget a night like that. So look, long may we create memories. Yeah, I'll just say the night I came home with the title to Gisala, I'll never forget it. I was, there was a parade cars in my lung and I was like, you know, I was getting to the village and the guy from the radio was there. The radio was covering it live and he says, you better come up here before you go up there. He says, sure, I said, I'll go up here and I'll meet the people. Oh no, he says, you go up there, you're not coming back. There was 1,200 people on the street. I'm like, where did all these come out? It was just like, wow, you know what I mean? You'll never yeah. forget that. Stuff of dreams, like, you know, stuff of dreams. Nothing I want more than Eric to live his dream and, you know, be successful and be at peace with it, you know, because that's what it's all about. It's a, it's a you know, it's a vicious sport and some of the stuff that goes on in it is vicious, but, like, the joy it gives you and what it brings to your life no other, I don't know, no one else has ever done it for me, you know. I hear that. Lads, I think we leave it on that brilliant high note, the vision of Henry Coyle walking, walking up towards the High Chaparral in Gisala, the belt aloft, 1,200 people, Gisala Festival Weekend, or Belmulla Festival, and or is it Gisala? But the whole festival, all the, all the boys home from London and everybody watching, Henry coming up with the belt. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Great image. Thanks so much for joining us today, lads. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.